The Start On Demand. On demand. The provincial budget was released on Wednesday. Premier Brian Pallister's comments on teachers ruffled some feathers, while another budget announcement received applause. And on the subject of teachers, in the budget it was revealed teachers can now apply for a rebate. Just how much are they spending out of pocket for classroom supplies? No more COVID cases in care homes. We'll speak to the Manitoba Association of Senior Centres. April is Limb Loss Awareness Month. We spoke to the president of the Amputee Coalition of Canada. We heard from former NHLer Brant Myers on his issues with addiction. And since we talked to teachers today, we also talked school supplies. Your favorites, your most coveted, or the worst. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Thursday, April 8th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I'm surprised my voice didn't crack there. My throat is so dry this week. Loren, I know you've been experiencing the same frustration. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on, I think, week two of just waking up in the morning. Just I don't know if I swallow dirt in my sleep, but that's <laughs> honestly what it feels like. I'm congested and like everything is dry. And, and I'm lately, I'm obsessed because of the dust and the dirt and the dryness in the air. I, I'm w- mopping the floor like three times a day and then show, showing people images and <laughs> pictures of the mop. Take a look at this is just disgusting. Like there's so much dirt and dust. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it and also it has me feeling kind of crummy. Gabrielle Marchand, I don't know if she told you, Greg, yesterday, but she says she opened the show, uh, Global News Morning, with a coughing fit. Oh, no. To the point where she actually had to say on air, I'm about to cough, so Abigail, uh, you just take it away and do some weather. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's a skill, to know when it's coming and to be able to even get that many words out to say, hey, can you take over for me? Because I'm about to cough and I'm about to have a coughing fit, so... Brett, can you take it away? That is a skill to suppress your cough, something that is probably not very good for you in the first place. But there are those in this industry who are extremely good at it. The the other problem as well is because every time I cough this morning because I've got a dry throat, I can hear one of our colleagues down the hall. I think it's Engineer John. I could hear him coughing away. And, of course, you feel this paranoia. You don't want people Mm -hmm. to think you're sick. No, that's a really good point. No question about it. And uh, I guess that paranoia has gone up a couple of notches. Yesterday, I was on my way out of the building. I uh, make no secret about how much I love coming to work every day and being at Portage in Maine. And I call our our new home here uh, an inspiring place to work. And I got the dreaded phone call from the boss. And he says, "Uh, I've got some bad news for you. And all I could think about was the scene in Cheers when Frazier <laughs> confronts Lilith about something that's going on. And Lilith says, I have something to tell you. And he says, just a moment, let me imagine the worst possible thing you can tell me. <laughs> then she tells him that she's leaving him because he's having an affair. And Frazier says, that can't be it. That's what I imagined. <laughs> it's the worst possible thing. So it wasn't the worst possible thing, but he told me based on what's going on in Alberta and in particular in Ontario, the head honchos down in Toronto have decided that I need to go home. So today may be my last show from 201 Portage, and I'm none too pleased about it. Let's just leave it there. 
Well, here's the thing. There's just so much going on, and, and we're, we've always taken a really cautious approach here at work, which I think has been great. Absolutely. Uh, I, and, and let me go on the record before you say anything else, Loren. Uh, absolutely. I am very grateful, A, to be working, first and yes. foremost. And secondly, uh, Chorus has, has been incredible from the get-go. From day one of this pandemic, they've been incredibly uh, caring about all of us, making sure that we're safe, that we can still do our jobs in this technological age. It's been a huge challenge. I'm just disappointed that I have to go of home. Of course, of course. I mean, I keep thinking about how we talked uh, this time last year about it being a month being at home, right? And then we hit the summer and there's a couple of weeks where I did get to go back to work. And then, you know, it's all in flux. The whole work thing is back in flux. And so I, I get that. That's the deal for so many people. And yes, for sure, we're grateful to be working. I'm happy you're going home cause, because then I'm not so jealous that I... <laughs> can't see any of you it's just a pure selfish reason now we're all in the dark you know can't see each other can't talk to one another there fine you're happy for everyone yes you're happy for the level playing level playing field now i'm like greg's in the ether i'm just wandering in the dark you know we're all just all the same brett's alone in the studio Uh, i'm sad sad for everyone deal with it Uh, i'm supposed to be the socialist in the group i didn't realize you were the socialist in the group yeah level playing field you're right it's the the, uh i'll just leave it at that uh also just wanted to quickly mention as well uh Thanks to the company as well. Did you guys see this thing? And I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to even mention this, but whatever. Since we're on the, the let's thank the company parade, they're going to op- offer us uh, unlimited mental health care, which is amazing. I didn't see that. No? No. Yeah. I think that's that, that's outstanding stuff. So that that anyway, the point is. We're happy where we work. They, they they take care of us. It sucks that Greg's got to go home, but uh, it's because they care, and I get it, and and I'm and like as grateful for it, right? Indeed. And we're also going to talk today about school supplies. The protractor was that your favorite? Was it the the fancy calculator? I the note tote. The note tote. Yes. I love that binder with the Velcro man. It just really really ramped up your. Really ramped up your school situation, made you feel super cool. And then, of course, you would graffiti your own binder with I love so-and-so and TLF, true love forever notes, that kind of thing, you know. But we're talking about school supplies, Greg, because the province announced a, a rebate plan of sorts for teachers who pay out of pocket for school supplies. And we're going to play a bit of his audio at 630 because he was asked the question, well, doesn't it just bother you, period, that teachers are paying out of pocket for supplies that maybe should be covered by our tax dollars, and it generated an interesting response from the Premier, but also a lot of reaction from people within the community, in particular teachers, because it's not just 10 or $15 on a, on a couple binders that they're spending. Many are spending hundreds of dollars of their own money to help kids in this province learn. Yeah, there's an acknowledgement that teachers have been doing this for years. And so in 2016, the federal government created a tax credit program for teachers. The province is now going to mimic that. And I'm not sure the last time I saw a tax credit for hardworking Manitobans, individuals, a group of individuals that deserve a tax credit, be so controversial. But... Uh, the Premier's response to the question about whether you're okay with teachers paying out of pocket for some of those ex- expenses has uh, some people's feathers ru- feathers ruffled without question. I just need to quickly 
offer a gold star to Loren McNabb for saying something I have never heard, and wow, do I love it. In terms of, we were talking earlier about how dry it is outside. What did you say, Loren? Oh, I wish I had some sort of southern accents, but it's as dry as the heart of a haystack out there. <laughs> did you just come up with that? No. I was trying to find, well, no, I had, was going to say dry as a powder keg. And then I was like, is it a powder keg or what is the actual saying? <laughs> and so then I Googled that and then it led me to powder house. And then someone wrote dry as a haystack. And now I'm deep, deep down into dry lines. Like it's so dry here. The fire hydrants are chasing the dogs around. <laughs> I've, I've gone down a deep rabbit hole of unnecessary info right now, Brett. So does this make you the scarecrow? Yeah. Just yes. wondering. It is. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I just needed to share that. I thought that was absolutely and now I'm amazing. Coughing from the dryness. <laughs> it's like making my mouth feels like cotton as we continue on this morning. <laughs> All right. We got to ask you this question Does it bother you that teachers pay out of pocket for school supplies? That's the question that was posed to Premier Brian Pallister after this year's budget revealed that teachers who pay out of pocket for additional school supplies can now claim a 15% refund for up to $150 back on their taxes. Here was the Premier's answer. Doesn't bother me at all. As a former teacher, as the son of one, as the brother of one, as one who believes in public education, I've watched teachers invest their own money out of their own pocket for decades now, and I just think this is a good, fair incentive to encourage other teachers to do the same. There's lots of room for initiative and teachers have initiative and they've shown it through COVID. They've shown it in the way they've modified their methods of instruction. They've shown it in the way they are now able to recognize the uses of, of technology, for example, to be able to offer uh, new opportunities for their students to learn. And I, I just think teachers are people who have you know, inspired me in my life, and I think that, that this is just a small way of indicating to teachers, yeah, you know, use your initiative. There's something you want to purchase to help your students uh, take a look at doing it. Because it happens, does that make it right? That's my question. And the other question we're asking you, does that bother you that teachers do that? And have been doing it for years and years and years. As the Premier says, if you're an educator, you ha- you're a certain type of person in the first place, And I've seen stories for years, in particular in the United States, where teachers are not paid uh, to the same level that they are in Canada, uh, where they are paying for some of their students' school supplies. I know that happens here as well. 707, we are going to ask a teacher how he feels about this, this answer and this plan to give some cash back to teachers. I'm not sure if the average Manitoban realizes that many teachers are already spending hundreds of dollars there's an acknowledgement that it might be up to a thousand dollars and they're giving you back or giving them back 15 percent of that the federal government does the same thing so if you put it together loren that's 30 percent that they're getting back i guess my question would be you know i know that there are different expenses people people have to put out in terms of like if you're working downtown right you have to pay for parking that's not something that's a tax deductible expense although there are some companies who do help you out with that expense so I think there's an acknowledgement that we're not all in the same boat but when it comes to educating our kids why should teachers be out any money out of their pocket for supplies like markers like books like special equipment that they might need during COVID for recording 
teaching lessons or, or that sort of thing. So uh, it's, it's a question that is uh, being met with uh, a lot of curiosity and uh, varying degrees of response. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you have an inspirational poster that you've bought for the classroom. It's another thing if you're actually buying kids in that classroom supplies that they need just to go to school, like pencils and papers. And so we're going to find out more at 7 just what teachers are spending on supplies. What kind of supplies are we talking about? And we'd love to hear your feedback, 780-6868, because that response from the Premier did generate some anger. While there was another line on the budget, if we can just pivot here for a moment, that created a lot of applause, and that was the really, truly unexpected announcement that a $25 million trust fund is going to go towards the redevelopment of the Hudson's Bay downtown. It permanently closed in November, just to remind our listeners, and many have wondered, what are we going to do with that huge space? Who is going to want to pony up the cash to redevelop there? And so the province is putting up this $25 million fund. It's asking the city of Winnipeg to match it. Kate Fenske of Downtown Biz says, really, that money is a good start in telling potential investors what cash might be on the table to help them redevelop that site. You're you're right. We absolutely need to find a solution, and it's not an easy one. Uh, This is an absolutely complicated project, but it is something that we can all be proud of, that the building is a key heritage asset in our downtown, but it's also one of the largest footprints, so any redevelopment here um, is complicated. And when we're looking at what are the potential solutions, there's no shortage of interesting ideas out there. We've heard a lot uh, from folks that have reached out to share their ideas, but it's important that we find something that serves the downtown community, that serves Manitobans. So that was Kate Fenske, downtown. But let us know what you think about that cash. Let's be clear. $25 million is a good incentive for development there. And if it, if it gets matched to $50 million, even better, Brett. But let the, that redevelopment of that bay is going to cost a whole lot more than $25, to make something work there. Right now, we want to give you a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. Well, we'll give it away at 9.15 because we need you to text us at 204-780-6868 on school supplies since we're talking about how teachers can now apply for this rebate to up to $150 to get $150 back for the school supplies they buy themselves. What were your favorite school supplies? What was the most coveted school supply? Maybe there was a school supply you wanted and never got? Let us know. 204-780-6868. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Fortier is here. Producer Jeff Fortier, let's start with you, sir. Uh, Well, back in, I think it was elementary, grade five, we had these really, really crappy laptops. It was just a black and white screen. Uh, with a floppy disk, and they didn't do much. They would fail on you all the time. So I don't know if that's my favorite, because, you know, you work on them, and you feel professional. But then they would fail on you, and then you would hate them. So uh, that's just... Do you remember the Mac Lab, Jeffrey? Oh, the Mac... And I could never figure out how to use a Mac computer <laughs> back in the day. And now that's all I have at home is I got a Mac laptop, so... <laughs> oh, wow. I had it... In grade school, we had an Apple IIe did you have any Apple IIe's in your uh, school, Loren? Hi, honestly, I feel like we had a typewriter class, but I could be, that can't I be I had right. that too, there, I had typing. There was typing for sure. Was it on a computer? I just can't recall. No, they were just, di- the room The room that held the computers had a hum in it from the hallways <laughs> because the computers were so big, you'd walk in and there'd be this low, I don't remember what I learned on. <laughs> well, what, what was what was that Mac? What were you saying? The Mac 2? Apple 2E. Apple 2E. Which one was that? Was that the one that had the 
the floppy disk on the bottom of the screen there. I think so, yeah. It was yeah. all one piece. It was basically just a green screen. <laughs> no, I'm looking at the Apple IIe right now. No, that's, we, we're a little more They're too, they're too young for that, that. Brett. Yeah. Well, when, when we got the <laughs> Apple computers that had the, the, I don't know, there was like blue back on it and it was really high-tech looking. Those are pretty cool, but uh, still, still uh, old technology. Poitras, <clears throat> what was your favorite? Well, I like the clock on the wall because it told me when I can get the heck out of there. Um, <laughs> no, I, like I, I wasn't a great student, and I, I got what I put in. Um, I liked, I loved history, loved history, um, loved English, but the rest of the school I really didn't really care too much for. I didn't like the teachers telling me what I had to learn. I want to learn what I want to learn. Dang it. Um, but I also, uh, my favorite, my favorite school supply is, was my calculator because all the teachers always said, listen, you're never going to have a calculator in your pocket all the time. You better learn how to use it. Well, guess what? <laughs> I do. <laughs> that is true. Wow. And I, I can find anything that I want on this thing. <laughs> I don't need, I don't even need you teacher. I can just figure it out myself. Wow. Cam Poitras is just throwing it down. <laughs> uh, Mackling, what about you? From paying out of pocket for school supplies to Cameron Poitras declaring, we don't need you teachers. <laughs> uh, well, the, obviously, I'm kidding. Really lots, off I, have the rails. Lots, I have to say this. Lots of teachers in my family. I love teachers. I've had great teachers that changed my life. So just a little uh, asterisk to what I just said. Of I'm, I'm kidding. Of course. I'm kidding. You want to Google ancient computer technology, Google PET. 2000 computer that's what we had and it, it used a cassette tape to store all the data on it data data uh mine was uh unabashedly uh the laurentian uh 64 pack of color crayons i was never fortunate enough to have the 64 pack i think eight was the maximum i ever had and i drooled envied despised anyone with the package of 64 laurentian colored <laughs> pencils because they had all the choices, all of the options, all the skin tones, all the blacks, all the grays, all the blues, pinks, aquas, reds, fuchsias. What about the crayon boxes that had the sharpener? Oh, in the built-in sharpener? Yeah, that Crayola box. The thing always sucked. Mm. Did it? <laughs> it was always the worst sharpener. Yeah. Well, for those that didn't have the Crayola box with the built-in sharpener, um, yeah, we didn't see it that way. The one at you the know- front, the one at the front of the of the class where you had to like walk up and you never yes. got it right, and everybody's watching you as you're sharpening your pencil, and then you go back and then you break and you had to go all the way back up. I used to love those those like the, the ones that you wind. You could yeah. just you, you could crank. just give her on that. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> Plus, it was like a way to waste time. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just got to go sharpen my pencil. And then you'd be up Again? there for five Again? minutes, like just slowly sharp, looking around the class, talking to your friend who's sitting closest to the pencil sharpener. It also makes me think of those push pencils. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. Where you'd like put in your own lead yep. into the pencil, and it was that infuriating thin. <laughs> Useless piece well, of a lead, piece of crap pencil, <laughs> and you like you would put it into that pencil, and they were more expensive, uh, and then they would break. And, you'd be like, and then you'd be going back into that thin little container again, pulling out another long piece of lead to plug back into the pencil. Like, why was that even a thing? As if a kid, let alone an adult, can use that without breaking it. There, there was always a kid in the class too that just like happened to have pens blow up on them constantly. <laughs> Like every time is like a body heat issue. I don't know what it was, they but chew on them. Yeah, they chew, chew on them. They have just constant, in their mouth, constantly in, the mouth. Ink <laughs> in their face on their pants. I have another pen that blew up. What are you doing, Jeff Braun? 
<laughs> the computer we had was something called a TRS-80. Oh, yes. And I can't for the life of me remember what we might have used it for, but it was uh, – that was – oh, my God. That thing must have weighed 400 pounds. It was the heaviest-looking computer I've ever seen. The The school supply I, I hate the most was definitely um, part of the geometry set, the compass. First of all, you had to carry it around all year because you sometimes needed it in for math like class. like the five days of geometry, yeah. you had that huge set. That's true. But – it was in there, and every single time I put my hand into my little bag of school supplies, I poked myself with that stupid compass. It was, was a deadly weapon. Full of holes by the end of the year. Yeah, if, and if I didn't poke myself, some kid that didn't like me was, you know, carrying it as a weapon looking to poke me when I walked by his desk on my way to the pencil sharpener or something like that. So the, the compass was just it's, just, it's just mean and messy tool. I don't know why they make kids carry those around. So you know the drill. Tell us a story. 204-780-6868. Favorite school supplies, most coveted school supply, the ones you hated. Take it wherever you want. 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. It may seem odd that there is some backlash for an announcement which is creating a tax credit for a group of hardworking Manitobans. Doesn't bother me at all. As a former teacher, as the son of one, as the brother of one, as one who believes in public education, I've watched teachers invest their own money out of their own pocket for decades now. And I just think this is a good, fair incentive to encourage other teachers to do the same. There's lots of room for initiative. So that was Premier Pallister reacting to a question that was posed to him, and the question was, does it bother you that teachers pay out of pocket for their supplies? He was asked that question because teachers are now eligible to claim up to $1,000 of out of pocket expenses related to running their classrooms. That's what they can claim. So any money spent above and beyond any allowance they may receive for things like extra materials for special projects or technology upgrades or books, etc. There's this new tax credit. Here's how it will work. It mimics a tax credit that's already in place for teachers that was put in place by the federal government in 2016. Each of those tax credits refunds 15% of the expense up to a maximum of $1,000. So teachers who spend $1,000 or more would get a maximum $150 now from each of the federal and Manitoba government program. So that would be $300 total, Greg. Right. Will Penner is founder of Mathopoly and a math teacher here in Winnipeg. We love when he joins us on the show. He's doing so this morning. Good morning, Will. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing really well. Hey, take us inside the classroom a bit. Do most teachers end up spending money out of their own pockets for <laughs> classroom essentials? Oh, sorry. Is that an obvious question? Well, yeah, no, yeah. Yes, yes. Of course we do. Um, yeah, every teacher every teacher I know. Um, doesn't matter how old they are, if, they knew, if they're new to the uh, profession. Of course we spend money out of our own pockets to, uh, to further the education and area of interest for some of these students. What do you spend it on, Will? I have a teacher right now saying just the other day, you know, there wasn't a, there's not enough things for the kids to do at recess with COVID, so she paid out of pocket for some extra balls that she saw at a, a local store, right? And so there's little things like that, but there's also necessity. So walk me through some of the essentials that you might end up paying out of pocket for. Are, are we talking just about the add-ons and the fun things, or is it sometimes for some kids pencils and papers and, and calculators? Absolutely. I'm sure we have we have basic school supplies, right? We have food that we pay for. Um, you know, there's always a snack drawer in every teacher's classroom for those students who don't have 
the food um, in their stomachs to come to school and, and, and sort of work on a full stomach. Um, you know, if it's games, if it's papers and pencils, if it's, if it's things for recess, if it's just one-offs in terms of science projects or math ideas that you want to do with these students, um, and especially with COVID, um, we're not getting in groups of five or groups of six to do group work anymore. Now it's more individualized. And so now you're, you're, you're paying even more, buying more supplies because you know that every student, you know, has to have their own. So there's, I mean, it's a plethora of different things that, that we're, that we're purchasing um, every year or if it's every second year or, or whatever it is, but there's no shortage of that. Can I ask how much you might be spending, Will, in any given year? Um, I would say, you know, I would say it ranges from year to year, but definitely I would say in the hundreds for sure. Um, I, I don't know if, if every teacher would be spending up to $1,000, but that, that I mean, I'm, there's teachers who are spending more than that for sure. Um, but I would say yeah, anywhere from, I would say, three, dollars $400 to, to 1000 for sure for myself. What was the reaction to the federal tax credit in 2016 and the reaction to yesterday's provincial announcement? Um, in 2016, I, yeah, I realized that when I was doing my taxes and you know what, it, it's kind of odd for myself. I felt kind of sheepish putting it in, um, because it is part of my profession and I felt as a professional, I should just do it and sort of suck it up. And then I realized, yeah, I'm spending a, a lot of money that I'm taking away from my own family as well. Uh, my child, um, my, my, you know, my wife, whatever it is. And, um, so I started putting it in, but the the problem was always with receipts. You know, do you keep these receipts, and 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 how long do you have to hold on to them for? And it just became, I won't say a headache, but um, now that the province is putting it in for us as well, um, again, I mean, I'm hoping that every teacher puts it in. I, I hope that every teacher receives the maximum amount that they can get because they're putting in a lot of effort and showing a lot of an, um, initiative in the classrooms. Not only buying supplies, but um, things that you know, that students need in their everyday lives as well when they're coming to school empty-handed. The Premier obviously acknowledged that yesterday, Will, and does it bother you that he acknowledged it and sort of made it an expectation, something that because it's been going on for so long, well, of course this is happening. What's, what's your response to the Premier's comments? Some say they're insensitive. I don't want to put you in an awkward position. Do you want to react to what the yeah. Premier said? Yeah, I I watched it. It was on social media, of course, and and I watched it once, and then I watched it again, and I I just didn't like the tone. You know, the message I think could have been twisted as positive, um, but the tone was just it it irked me, and I, I didn't I didn't appreciate it. Of course, teachers have spent money for years and years and years, but to say that we're going to start showing initiative now, or we should be showing initiative. Um, it, it did bother me because I think uh, teachers are, are, are very um, creative in, in the way that they run their classrooms and creative in the way they spend their money that is allotted to their classrooms. So, yeah, it, it, didn't, um, it didn't sit well with me last night. Does it bother you? You have to spend your own money on your job because we also are getting some teachers writing in talking about what all the extras that they put in. And then on the other hand, we're getting others that say, well, too bad, we all we all put money in it some in some way will for the jobs that we have and not all of it's covered by our employer. Right. You know, it, it, it doesn't bother me because at the end of the day, what I'm spending my money on are my students and their learning is going to hopefully, uh, I won't say become more interesting, um, but the activities that they're going to get to do or the materials that they're get to use 
is going to inspire them, hopefully, and, and give them a different uh, outlook on, on a different uh, subject matter, right? So it doesn't bother me one bit to spend money, um, but I'm glad that finally um, it's come to the forefront and, and people are maybe realizing, hey, teachers are spending a lot of their own money taken away from their own families um, just to better the 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 education value of 25 to 50 to 100 students that they're they're around every single day will penner is founder of mathopoly and a math teacher here in winnipeg joining us live on 680 cjob will thank you for the time as always sir thanks uh, have a great day everybody Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, lots of great text messages, Loren, on the subject of teachers. Yeah, and it's raising the question from some, well, hang on, there are professions out there that pay out of pocket for expenses, too, that are related to their job. And we're talking about this because there's a new rebate in place for teachers who might spend out of pocket on school supplies. And and teachers spend hundreds of dollars each year, Greg, on their students. And and the difference here is, for example, in our work, if I'm expected to dress a certain way, which I was for TV, I might have been offered a clothing allowance or a clothing tax rebate when I worked in Ontario that would give me money back. But at the end of the day, I kept those clothes right. and they were mine. Uh, same way an electrician might have tools or a plumber might have tools. You still get to keep those tools. They become an asset. Teachers are paying for things that are going to the students, That's like right. the supplies and the food and all the rest. And we're getting a lot of great feedback on this. Right. And so let's uh, read a couple of text messages here. Uh, Palster, this guy's so out of touch with, uh, from reality, it's mind-boggling that some people continue to believe his words. Teachers don't use money from their own family's budget as a way of, quote, taking initiative. We do it to provide an effective education to our students when this government continues to deny financial support. We spend our own hard-earned money for uh, children who may not be as privileged as others, even when Palliser's government attempts to freeze our wages and deny the bargaining rights that decades of teachers have fought for. The sad part is that he really believes offering a tax refund so you have yet another reason to underfund something happening for decades doesn't make it right. It creates and, more ire. And I think at the end of the day, there's comments about the expectation, the comment that it's sort of expected of them. One teacher says she doesn't mind at all. She's in a position to provide all these supplies. It makes it fun for her. It makes it better for the kids, but it shouldn't be expected. Not every teacher is able to do so. The premier's comments were offensive. Then she adds, oh, well, at least it wasn't a sports analogy. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, text message at 204-780-6868 on school supplies because we're giving away that $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Kristen says, my favorite school supply was probably the lunchbox. I always wanted a new one, but the awful pink plastic Barbie one that was purchased as my first never died. When my brother got too old, though, I was able to steal his extremely cool orange Transformers one. Autobots, roll out. Autobots, transform and roll out. <laughs> Thank you for that, Kristen. Uh, the lunchbox. I can't remember, even remember what I had on mine. Maybe Scooby-Doo? Mm, you must have been rich. Yeah. You I didn't never have like, had just a the tin box? box? Yeah. <laughs> I had a paper made? sack. <laughs> I wasn't even allowed to have a thermos. My mom didn't believe in thermoses, and my buddy Todd Cuttington didn't believe in no, thermoses. No, I don't know if she thought it would break it, or I think it was her way of saying we can't afford a thermos. Um, yeah, I can remember my buddy Todd Cuttington, Valley View School, grade four. We had to stay over lunch to do a project, and his mom dropped him off hot dogs 
two wieners uh, cooked up. They were in boiling water in his thermos and then uh, two buns and all the condiments on the side. I just sat and drooled watching him eat his lunch. And I just thought, you lucky bastard, you and your fancy thermos. What tax bracket are your parents in? <laughs> okay, it was grade four. I probably wasn't thinking that, but I think that's what I think of it now, looking back on it. And Todd, uh, if you're listening this morning, I know you live you used to live in Brandon. I don't know where you live now, but I thought you were the coolest. So. <laughs> Small town salute and in the long, illustrious history of the small town salute, we have never, and the rock means never, done what we are going to do today. Well, in my best, uh, Ed McMahon, you are correct, sir! (laughs) We have, of course, uh, over time revisited small towns more than once. We've mentioned them multiple times in multiple or consecutive weeks, maybe as a callback, as a reference, or simply in jest, Minidosa. But we have never gone to the same small town twice in a row. This must be extremely special, Loren McNabb. And I want to say, guys, I feel about this town pretty much the same way I do about Minnedosa, which is to say it's awesome. And for so many reasons, we're heading back to St. Adolph as they take their quest to become Hockeyville to the next level. And of course, Lori Stoddy is a community rally volunteer, and she joins us here on our small town salute. Good morning again, Lori. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me back. I feel so honored. And can I just say I had a gem in the holograms uh, lunch game. <laughs> Ooh, that's going to get me singing the gem song. She is truly outrageous, Lori, and I okay. love gem. Okay, so listen, tomorrow the voting begins for Hockeyville and your town, the only Manitoba town in the final four. We're going to find out more about the vote in a moment. But people should uh, take a trek out to St. Adolph if they want and, and drive through your community because the support is just amazing. There are signs everywhere. And tonight you're doing something extra special. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's amazing watching all of the creativity in our town. Uh, people decorating their windows and lawns. And uh, we have actually kind of a reverse parade happening tonight, trying to, you know, keep in line with the whole COVID thing. Uh, we've got over 25 floats parked at our arena. And uh, we're just inviting townspeople by sections of the town at a time to come out and drive through the parade. Um, got some Mickey Moose coming and, and Benny, which I know you guys will remember Benny. Yeah. The Jets. Yes. So he's coming, he's going to be waving at the parade, and um, yeah, we're just excited, just right like the pep rally, right, getting the community all excited, and uh, it's been a long journey and a fun journey, um, telling people all about this experience and asking uh, for support of voting. It's going to be like it's going to be like back to 2011 when you wanted Jet Seasons tickets and you had to like click all day long. You have to do the yes. same thing tomorrow. But the, and the voting window is short, right? So hopefully the voting site handles massive numbers of people better than, say, the camping booking website. Uh, when and where do we vote? Uh, you just visit crafthockeyville.ca. Super easy. You put in your email address, and you can just click over and over again. It's unlimited voting, and it starts tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. our time, and it ends on Saturday at about 4 p.m. And then right that night, just watch Hockey Night in Canada. They're going to announce the winner. On Saturday night? Yeah, like right away. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, about three hours after voting stops, we we find out. So this is the thing. It's going to be a marathon for the next two days. We just need people's fingers clicking. I'm going to be, you know, like brushing my teeth and and voting. I'm going to be on the elliptical and voting, and and I don't even work out. So 
This is a big deal. I've got my finger doing uh, calisthenics right now. The Jets play the Canadiens tonight and on Saturday. So maybe some symmetry there is good luck. Uh, The win would be huge for St. Adolf, Laurie. We discussed it last week, but for those that weren't tuned in, what do you get and what will you do with the winnings if the contest against three other Canadian communities goes your way? Uh, If you vote for us, we get a quarter of a million dollars to donate to the heart of our community, which is the community club. Our ice plant recently broke. Uh, We discovered a a major mold issue in one of the walls of the community club. So not only will you be getting at least 170 minor hockey players back on the ice, but you'll be getting our, our, just the heartbeat of our town back up and running. This is like a place where the entire town can meet to do, to do life together. And so we just need people clicking over the next 36 hours starting at 8 a.m. tomorrow so that we can fix this building. Yeah, the rink is where you do your fall suppers. It's where parties are held and socials and in the school dances. It's where my kids have gone to play hockey. And just as a personal note, guys, I don't know if you know this, but I'm also a uh, part-time hockey mom, H-A-W-K-E-Y, hawk, yes, uh, where I, pl- I play for the women's team, you know, two or three times a year. And so personally, I, you know, I know how much this rink means to your community. So one more time, Lori, when and where do we vote? Uh, so, yeah, come on out to crafthockeyville.ca, wherever you are tomorrow, working from home, uh, just not driving, please. But anywhere you've got your device, just click on crafthockeyville.ca as many times as you can. Click St. Adolf. Lori Stoddy, Community Rally Volunteer, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Lori, thank you for the time once again. Thank you so much for having me back. You guys are amazing. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Keep your text messages about school supplies coming in at 204-780-6868. Your favorite school supplies, the coveted ones that maybe you never got or maybe your least favorite. We have a front runner right now uh, for 915. We're going to give away our Santa Lucia pizza gift card uh, for $20 worth, but you still have time to get in on that action. So keep those texts coming, 204-780-6868. In the meantime... The impact COVID has had on some of Manitoba's most vulnerable should never be forgotten. Over the past few months, dozens of seniors living in long-term care facilities have lost their lives to COVID, which is why our elderly and the people working in personal care homes were among the first to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, Loren. Yeah, and so with that this morning, we've, of course, been sharing some positive news, uh, news we hope carries well beyond today and this note that we received from the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. It reads, with cautious optimism, we note that we currently have no active COVID cases among residents at Winnipeg's long-term care homes, which has now been the case since April 1st. This period marks the first time in more than six months, so going back to September 18th, 2020, that have been no active COVID cases among Winnipeg LTC residents. It goes on to talk about this being the result of vaccination efforts combined with the dedication of the staff, managers, and facility operators. Their dedication to providing the best care possible despite the unprecedented and stressful circumstances of this pandemic is to be saluted. That note again from the WRHA. We should note that there are still outbreaks at some homes, but the cases are right now with staff, not with residents. And so they're celebrating cautiously this morning the fact that we are potentially on our way to being COVID-free in some of these long-term care facilities. Connie Newman is the Executive Director with Manitoba Association of Senior Centres. She also has friends and loved ones in many of our, or some of our senior centres now. And, and good morning, Connie. 
Well, good morning to you. What do you make of this news? We've talked to you so many times over the past six, <laughs> eight, ten months, Connie, about all the different concerns you've had, both in your just your work with the Association of Senior Centres, but with your friends and family that you know that are in them. So to hear that there are no COVID cases uh, in long-term care facilities right now in Manitoba, what's your reaction in Winnipeg? What's your reaction? Relaxed, excited, um, happy, and very thankful to, in my case, the three places where we have very dear friends that are COVID-free. And that, to me, is very powerful um, because being one of the caregivers that goes to visit, um, they are still being very cautious in what they're doing, and yet people are less stressed, um, very smiling, and able to look after the residents in a more friendly way of doing things, I would say. Connie, the cautions are still there, though. Of course they community, are. Community spread is still happening. When we look to the provinces beyond our Manitoba borders, we're sitting, from a provincial point of view, in a very good place. But we cannot stop wearing the mask and being six feet apart. Yeah, letting our guard down now would be a massive mistake. But I do hear the relief in your voice, Connie, and it's wonderful to hear. It's wonderful to sense. What have you been hearing from loved ones you've seen in senior centers and in these homes? And uh, the sense of uh, relief, cautious as it may be, what, what are you, what's the feedback you're receiving right now? Well, if we talk about long-term care homes where in the process of encouraging all your listeners to um, go to roadtocare.ca website and it's time to brag and it's time to thank those people doing the work on the inside at all of the long-term care because they have been under a lot of media stress. Our senior centers, the community centers where seniors gather, they're still closed because of public health orders. They're offering Zoom programs. They're doing phone calls, and they're doing connecting. And because we've got such lovely weather right now, they're getting out there and they're walking. And that, to me, it's good news. Spring is here. It's not 40 below. We need to get out there and have some joy. Can you take us back to the stress that you have felt over the last year? I, I would listen to news media, and of course, news media is global. And I would really worry about what's happening, and I'd be thinking about beyond our borders, I'm going to call it, and is that going to come here? And in Manitoba, our care workers have done an awesome job, and we as a community have done an awesome job of staying the course. Um, there are some of us that ignore the rules. Well, you know, I hope they never get caught because this virus is ugly and we now have the threat of a different virus coming in. And to me, as I walk around, as I drive around, I say, please, 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 let's not go backwards. Yeah, going backwards, Connie, 
as you talk about watching what's going on in Ontario and Saskatchewan and Alberta, it's where no one wants to go, and particularly with the impact on some of our most vulnerable, which is our seniors. And so we don't want to see those cases. We don't want to see the deaths, but we also want to be able to see the people that we love and see our family and friends. And so I'm curious how visits have been going, because that was a big part of the issue, even in homes where there were no COVID cases early on. It was, you know, a kind of stay out order, which is why we got down the road of repurposing shipping containers, right, to create these visitation rooms. So how are visits going with with the people that you know and love in these facilities? Excellent. Excellent. I would say the staff in, in all three are doing their best. Um, I visit my loved ones. Uh, there's three of them that I'm direct contact once a week. So that's three visits. Um, each of them have different, we'll call it spaces. And yet when I suggest this last visit to Thorvaldson Care Center, I suggest, could we visit outside today? The weather was beautiful and we visited outside. So they are doing their best to accommodate needs. Does it always work? No. Is it always the best? No. But they're, they're, they're working with the loved ones in the places where I visit to accommodate needs the best they can. Connie, a lot has been made over, shall I say, how we got into this mess in the first place. And, and there are lots of fingers have been pointed and suggestions that this has been a situation that could have been avoided if there was more attention paid to the way these personal care homes operate in the first place, that there have been concerns for years. Do you get the sense that coming out of COVID-19, that some of the concerns that maybe went unaddressed prior to this pandemic will get addressed post-pandemic? We sure hope so. We sure hope so. I think people are listening now. I think the staff, whether it's public or private, are very aware. And no one, no one, whether you're the head executive director, you're the owner, if it's a private facility, wants to go through this again. So in places and the conversations I'm involved with out there, they're all listening, they're all talking, they're all paying attention. And it's not only people living in long-term care. We, and you as media, have to convince the public that they have to be cautious. We're not out of this yet, by a long shot. And a vaccination till everybody in this province is vaccinated, and then the next thing is we're going to have this variant come in here and people are we're going to get caught with that. So we have to be cautious. We have to wear a mask and we have to take, stay six feet apart. doesn't matter where you are. Within a long-term care facility, within a senior center, that's just the way it is. Connie Newman with the Manitoba Association of Senior Centers joining us live on 680 CJOB. Connie, thank you so much for this. We very much appreciate the time. Listen, you guys all have a good day and stay safe. Over the weekend, 
The Winnipeg sign at the Forks was lit in orange to mark that April is Limb Loss Awareness Month. And we learned of this from one of our listeners who texted us, and his name is Chris Marshall. He's the president of the Amputee Coalition of Canada and joins us now live on The Start. Good morning, Chris. Hi, guys. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for contacting us. Uh, we appreciate that. And so why don't we start with your story, because uh, you're not just the president of this coalition, but you are an amputee. I am. Uh, in the year 2000, I had a workplace accident that saw me fall off a building, and uh, the net result is a uh, baloney amputation. So I've been an amputee uh, closing on 20 years, I guess. Well, you know, uh, thanks for sharing your story and thanks for doing what you're doing in leading uh, awareness with regard to Limb Loss Awareness Month. Talk about the last 15, 16 years of your life and, and, and dealing with, with that loss of your limb. How is it, how's it gone for you? Um, it, it, it's gone well. I mean, uh, I often say that my accident gave me so much more back than it took for me. Uh, I've learned to live a new life. Um, learned to deal with challenges, made me a stronger person, made our family stronger. I mean, it's, it's been a benefit to my children to see, uh, you know, a disabled person strive. I mean, uh, you know, it, it gives them that feeling that anything can be done. I'm not going to say it's without its challenges. It's, it's tough. It's a long road. Uh, I've walked that walk. I've, I've been in darkness so dark that, you know, you don't see your way out of it. And I've been uh, on top of the world with some challenges. Um, you know, so I, I've, I've done what I had to do to survive, but then I've excelled at that as well. Um, but now um, it's my job uh, as an amputee that's led this walk to turn around. I believe it's a human um, response should be if you've walked this walk and you've done it, there's somebody coming up behind you that doesn't have the knowledge or the experience. And with that peer-to-peer training, peer-to-peer visiting, uh, we can really uh, reduce the anxiety and, and create better outcomes if we're there to help one another. Did you have someone like that in your journey, Chris, that, you know, that walked you through the challenges that you might face, but also, as you put it, the gifts that you might receive? Tell us about, about that process, because now you're looking to, I don't know if mentorship's the right word, but it kind of is, right? The more you talk about it and show people how you've dealt with the loss of your limb, the more others who might be going through it might benefit. And so who was there for you in those early days and months? Well, unfortunately, Lauren, I don't have a good story about that. Nobody was. Uh, at, in my time, there was nobody there. I had to rely on the world of the able-bodied. We have a great program at the Health Sciences Centre and the amputation program led by Patrick and, and the good physiotherapist there. But most importantly, you see, um, I didn't have that. Uh, my wife, my family and I, we had to go through this alone trying to figure out what the next step was. So, yes, it's been a passion of mine for the last 12 to 15 years to reach out to those that didn't have that and supply that. And at the ACC here, we have a great peer program that everyone has access to, to, and we try to do our best to match everyone up with somebody that's like them because I've seen firsthand uh, what it's like to uh, witness um, somebody seeing amputees for the first time, somebody that looks like them, somebody that faces those challenges. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a heartwarming and and it's a powerful moment when they see that, um, and it's it's uh, it's something that everybody needs uh, because this is a life of anxiety and fear because you never know what's around the corner. 
Chris Marshall is our guest, president of the Amputee Coalition of Canada, as April is Limb Loss Awareness Month. Now, Chris, the pandemic has created new and unique challenges for all of us. What sort of challenges have been created for those with limb loss or limb differences? Uh, I think the the peer-to-peer contact, just like our seniors are facing, well, I mean, frankly, Brett, every one of us is facing that, that, that contact. Um, 90% of my peer visits at the two hospitals have been either, you know, via online, phone, uh, emails even, and, and it's not that personal contact. And, and that, um, when, when somebody's lying in that bed and they've lost a leg or, or, or lost an arm and they see somebody walk in, uh, especially for the, 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 uh, the lower body amputations, uh, their face has just changed because they see that, that somebody's living with this disability and they're, and they're thriving. Um, so we've lost a bit of that. Um, I think that's the most important thing is that peer-to-peer contact, that, that face-to-face contact that's so important. Um, you know, I did a very important one early on in the pandemic in July when things were well here. And I did a, a, my first hospital visit in a long time. And uh, it, it regenerated that, that, uh, that, that power that I know that that's so important. Chris, so uh, honoured really uh, to know that you, you spend so much time with us listening to the program and of course uh, lots of Manitobans lamenting the situation with regard to campsite reservations but you pointed out something that really disappoints you and uh, in turn disappoints us to learn about Manitoba campsites. What can you share with us about that? Well, we have a handful of sites in the, in the province that are handicap accessible uh, but more importantly, for a lot of you know disabled people, the yurts provide a great opportunity for them to get out and experience what Manitoba has to offer. And we have an absolutely stunning province when you get out there. And my wife and I have been camping upwards of 17 years um, with the kids. With uh, you know now that the kids are growing up and gone, we 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 venture out on our own. Um, but uh, we have those handful of yurts. I believe locally we have about uh, just under 30 yurts available that are listed as handicap accessible and i've witnessed firsthand um that these sites uh, and yurts are occupied by people without a disability um i've questioned on on a couple of occasions like why is this happening and then finally this you know i know it's when i when i heard what i heard this week i know it's not an anomaly and i know it's not you know something that maybe we're just thinking is there and not there but when I called to say, hey, look, I'm, I'd like a year, you know, and they said, and I said, well, you know, you have a handicapped one available. And, and they said, well, it's taken. And I said, can I ask how you uh, ensure that a person with disabilities is op- occupying the site? And they said, oh, no, uh, we don't regulate that. Anyone can rent them. And I said, well, why label them as handicapped then? And they said, well, there is some accessibility features, you know, with ramps and all that. And I said, well, you know, then the people in wheelchairs need those sites. And if they're booking up by non-disabled people, I don't understand what you're offering then. And I know that uh, at a couple other campgrounds, it wasn't regulated either. And I know with Parks Canada, you have to uh, display a valid uh, placard uh, that you are disabled. Uh, I know that uh, in the U.S. it's the same way. Uh, We've camped there as well. So I'm just kind of curious as to why Manitoba doesn't regulate that. I, I don't know whose responsibility it should be, but I don't want to sound like a jerk when I walk up to these people and say, hey, look, you know, um, we ran into somebody last year that, that, that was definitely not disabled. 
uh, at, at a campsite and it, it infuriated me. Um, we have to regulate our park. We regulate our parking that we fight with every day. Um, uh, you know, people feeling a little bit of entitlement to those spots. Um, we regulate all these different things, but we have a handful of sites in Manitoba that could really help these people get out and experience that are afraid to go out. Um, but they're being taken up by people who are just not disabled. And to me, a little bit of the onus is on the general public as well. If you see a disabled campsite and you're booking it because you want your family out, geez, I understand. But, you know, the family with a, uh, you know, a family member in a wheelchair or whatever, how, how do they get to experience that if they're being taken up? Chris Marshall, president of the Amputee Coalition of Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. April is Limb Loss Awareness Month. Chris, thank you so much for contacting us and to bring this to our attention. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks, guys. Talking school supplies, $20 gift card, Santa Lucia pizza. Based on your text messages, we got time for two. Greg, you read Don's, and Loren, you read the winner. My school paraphernalia I hated was a hand-me-down lunchbox. It was custom-made for my dad by metal-working uh, friend. He got, in, he got it in 1950. It was a quarter stainless steel welded and weighed what seemed like <laughs> five tons. And I still have it at home. Thanks, Don. I had a friend who had the the steel lunchbox, and it was with him from kindergarten to might still be with him today. It was so durable. I was almost like a weapon. It was so heavy. You really hurt someone with that thing. Sounds like it. But, Loren, who is our winner? This comes from Rick, who says, It's a bit of a long story, but the end will reveal my most Hated school supply. I attended a one-room country school south of Morden near the U.S. border. As was common in the late 60s, many community events were held at the local school. During one of these events, which included a fastball game and a wiener roast, I noticed the school was unlocked. I commandeered two of my friends to join me and run on top of the one-seater wooden school desk, jumping from one desk to the next. We had a blast. What we did not know was that a parent spotted us and unfortunately knew us. She told her son, who in turn told my brother, who snitched on us the next day. My very own brother, how could he? The teacher sent us outside to wait for punishment. We schemed to run away to a local store four miles away. Before our plan was set into motion, the teacher arrived with my most hated school supply, a long leather strap. We were strapped in our backsides, cried, and sheepishly walked back to class when the tears had dried up. My worst grade two memory I will never forget. And thank goodness the strap has gone the way of the past. It's been decades, I think, since that's been around. Rick, we are sorry you went through that, but for your trouble, you win the Santa Lucia Pizza $20 gift card. Thank you for that great story. You really painted quite the painful picture. Hey, Loren, wasn't the Premier getting a vac- his vaccine today? Yeah, he in, within the last hour, he was down at the RBC Convention Centre and Dr. Brent Rusin administered that vaccine. So he had his first dose, I believe it was the Pfizer dose. Uh, I'm just looking, I had his statement here. But yeah, within the last hour, he got the vaccine by the top doctor. And of course, he's, in, he's now in that age category where he qualifies and he'll need that second dose like everyone else. But good news for him and... Um, Good news for everybody. We've heard from listener Jean, who texted this morning to say her household's on its way to all having their vaccines, and they're pretty pumped about that. So the closer we get to the finish line, the better I think we'll all feel. 
And as well, I believe I saw today that uh, vaccine eligibility now down to 62 years. 62, yeah. Getting closer. You're almost, no, you're not almost there. That was, sorry about that. I just really (laughs) added like 15 years to your life, I think. I'm glad you you feel that way. I'm within a decade now. So uh, that's that's good news for, for older Manitobans like myself. We have been honored over the years to bring attention to stories of those courageous enough to put pen to paper and bear their soul and life story with the world. We are going to do that again for the next 10 minutes or so. So Steve Howe is a name which might ring a bell for some diehard sports fans. He was a pitcher in Major League Baseball. He was the Rookie of the Year in 1980 with the league, an All-Star in 1982 with MLB. He was suspended, though, seven times for cocaine use. He eventually received a lifetime ban in 1992, and then he had that ban overturned and would go on to pitch for several more years, pitching the last time in 1996. But Steve Howe was killed in a single vehicle car crash in 2006, and when he died, uh, we later learned he had methamphetamine in his system, Greg. Yeah, our guest this morning played for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Philadelphia Flyers, San Jose Sharks, Nashville Predators, Washington Capitals, and Boston Bruins of the National Hockey League. He played 154 games in the NHL. He had 100 times as many penalty minutes as he did goals. He was suspended four times for drug use and eventually banned from the league as a player. He shares his story openly and honestly. His name is Brant Myers. His book, Painkiller, A Memoir of Big League Addiction. Good morning, Brant. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? We're doing really well. Would the job description enforcer be applicable for your time in the NHL? (laughs) Oh, man, there were so many uh, tags that you get labeled with. Uh, I just like to be called, I guess, a, a good teammate. You know what, and and uh, the experience that so many uh, around hockey teams w- would agree that so often that is the case. The guy that's assigned and the responsibility is to look after the star players to a great extent are, are some of the nicest, if not the best guys on the team. Now, Steve Howe, we, we shared that story because Steve Howe and Brent Myers aren't the only athletes to use drugs or alcohol during their playing careers, not by a long shot. From the outside, Brant, many look at addiction stories like yours and wonder why. They imagine you were living the dream. Were you living the dream or a nightmare? Oh, no. It was. It had its moments. Um, you know, when you're young, you're just sort of rolling through life, as you guys know, um, even if some negative experiences are coming your way. It wasn't really until I got probably into my late 20s, early 30s, where I was being hit with the reality that I was fighting something that I didn't understand. Um, I I thought it was a willpower issue. And so I was really getting down on myself that I couldn't stay sober. It wasn't until I went into my fifth and and final treatment center uh, in 2008 that I started to really study the the, the, the disease concept behind alcoholism and drug addiction. You recently celebrated 13 years of sobriety. Congratulations uh, to you on that, Thank sir. You. Uh, you also have Thank a 13-year-old daughter who was born while you were in rehab. So how has your daughter's life helped you on your current path in life? Well, I, you know, I, I got a nice big tattoo of her on my, on my forearm, and it's, it's, it also re- reminds me of, uh, you know, I got her picture by my bed every night before I go to sleep. I see her, and um, just, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, that the heavens gave me a gift at that point um to really have something to strive for i mean i grew up with a 
not the best childhood and uh, I was raised with my grandparents and um so I didn't I didn't want to be an absentee father uh to Chloe uh so it was pretty imperative that I stayed on 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 the track for her I love the way you put that in terms of what she's done for you and just keeping you on that path to sobriety um I'm curious Brent you know a lot of people don't want to be public about this kind of thing. So what has you speaking out and talking about it and continuing to talk about it? Because we just in the last hour, we're talking about awareness on another topic and that the more people share their story, the more valuable that can be. Well, I mean, I understand that, you know, that the main subject has been a pandemic in the last 13 um, months, but I mean, my Lord, we've been dealing with this pandemic uh, of drug addiction and alcoholism for years and years and years with it not only affecting the elder, but it affecting young kids from the age of 12 up until, you know, 70 years old. Um, so I don't think that there's ever really a bad time to come out and speak about it. You spent time with the LA Kings as uh, support for their players, as a player assistant director. Uh, you have also lamented the fact that the same people who might have been able to you know, to help you with your addictions were the same people who signed your paycheck. How has that changed for players over the years, Brant? And, and and there's got to be a message there for other organizations looking to to ensure the well-being of their employees. Sure. Um, I think that was what Dean Lombardi had visioned, uh, that uh, in order for that role to work, I had to be almost a separate entity from, from management, um, that everything was strictly confidential. When you're dealing with athletes that are making millions and millions of dollars at such a young age, the only way that they're going to open up to you is without fear of somebody having control over those contracts. And I think that how we structured it in Los Angeles, um, you know, for the three years there, that it was a, it was a very positive thing for the players and the staff. Now, as far as addictions go i'm sure or you mentioned the the pandemic i'm sure some people have experienced maybe coming close to addiction or maybe they've developed one and they don't even know it or they're 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 not ready to admit it so if somebody feels like maybe that's where they're headed mm-hmm. what what sort of advice might you offer well, I think it's with anything there's you know there's a moment in the book where i had i was looking at myself in the mirror around six o'clock in the morning after doing cocaine all night and staring at Brandt and realizing this is really what I turned into. And then at the end of the day, I had to stop taking the finger and pointing at everybody else and turn my hand around and point it at me. And then I had to take that first step, which was picking up the phone and asking for help because I didn't know how to do it any longer my way. My way wasn't working for 10 years. So I had to take the advice of other people that have stayed sober for multiple years and how they did it and then follow in their footsteps. How hard was that to, you know, you, when you, in that moment when you're looking in the mirror after, as you say in your own words in your book, you know, you, you lied to doctors, you lied to, you, you hid all these things going on in your life and then suddenly you wake up and you have this moment and you have to be honest with yourself. That's got to be incredibly difficult. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. It was... <laughs> I don't know. It was such a painful process, but yet it was uh, a spiritual process for myself. Once I, as they say, you know, you have to surrender to win. And I didn't really understand that concept until I did. And I just gave up. I said, I'm done. I said, somebody please help me because 
this is turning out really bad. And, um, you know, the NHL uh, called, I believe, a day or two later. They found out that I got arrested the night before, offered to pay for treatment again for a fifth time. I went away uh, for eight months uh, inpatient. And uh, they paid for everything. They paid for me to go back to school. So I kept getting these gifts that were free. And I felt an obligation on my end that I needed to continue to stay sober to repay the debt. I don't want to take this down a super dark path, but, uh, you know, have you you Googled yourself lately, Brandt? I try not to do that. Uh, But when when you look on the right-hand side here, uh, it says people also search for Donald Brashear, Brian McGratton, Bob Probert, and John Cordick. And those last two gentlemen are no longer with us any longer. Do you ever think about what might have been had you, had you not found what you found 13 years ago? Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, obviously, Chloe wouldn't have a father. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be around today. I was on that path, as they say, where there was really the point of no return. Um, and there's so many as we talked about earlier, I did about just the, you know, there, I believe they said there was 1700 overdoses in British Columbia alone, just from fentanyl, uh, last year. I I mean, people are dying daily because of this. And, uh, this is, this is no joke. And as I say, I take it as serious as a heart attack. Brent Myers, thank you for this. We'll, we'll have to have you back again because this was a, a fantastic start to our conversation. So much more for us to discuss. We appreciate uh, your time very much. Absolutely. You guys have an uh, excellent weekend. Thank you. Brant Myers, his book, Painkiller, a memoir of big league addiction. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.